0: Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off the shelf service, providing high quality, high performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to talk to an energetic young tech leader heading the tech function of a startup, tracking people and assets to facilitate smoother operations. That's workflow visibility, predictability, and efficiency. So let's not delay, let's welcome into the space our guest to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Owen. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast.
0: Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Brilliant. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell the audience who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm Owen. I'm the CTO and one of the co-founders of Trackworks. We're an Irish startup company that has a lot of experience in the tracking space. So we were originally set up in 2016 when um, all of the founders were in college. Uh, We were in second year, um, came across a problem and figured that we could take a decent hack at it, build a solution, and that's how we got started. Our initial project was working with the local hospital, um, tracking patients and taking the data from that to let them make really data-driven, efficient decisions about how to deliver better care, how to care for more patients, and how to really understand their flow, because that was a huge, huge challenge for them at the time so we were able to build a prototype tracking device and the software platform we were able to take them through a an initial pilot and then a clinical trial where we tracked 200 patients published a paper in the british medical journal on that there last year and moved on from there so after that we had a bunch of different hospitals lined up we had a good few in the private sector where we'd launched we were getting ready to launch into the uk market as well we had hospitals signed up for a pilot and everything um and then at that stage COVID 19 hit and the hospital market all of a sudden came under immense pressure from that the budgets weren't there to bring stuff like this in we couldn't safely send people out to site to deploy the platform to deploy the hardware so we figured that we had to pivot rather than kind of sitting here and just turtling up and waiting for a year for this to blow over we figured we had to do something essentially right now so we took our existing hardware platform we repurposed it as a contact tracing and a social distancing device Um, At the enterprise level, particularly for industries where they can't just work from home, things like pharmaceuticals, film and TV industry, where Mm. having people on site is sine qua non, essentially. And based on that, we're able to scale out to, I think we have 1,600 devices in the field at the moment. We've tracked over 3,000 people um, across four countries. Wow, that's pretty impressive.
1: And I love the agility there on an organizational level where you where you saw something kind of, uh, you know, kibosh your dreams and your hopes um, and your kind of direction and you had to kind of adjust. So that was pretty impressive. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, as a kind of um, one of the co-founders and, uh, and your, you know, your fellow co-founders, I mean, how did you handle that when this happened? Was it like kind of like frightening or did you kind of all panic and run around or, or was it kind of low? Like, we need to
0: figure this out? It's one of those things where, in hindsight, looking back at it now, I'm kind of saying, how were we not more frightened? But the, the this, <laughs> this is the handy thing about kind of having a good working relationship and, and a team around you that you can trust, that when it kind of came around, it was just like, okay, this is Tuesday, this is Tuesday's problem, global pandemic, how do we get across this? And we're kind of just able to get to grips with that and tackle it. It's like, in hindsight, I'm kind of saying, how were we not more frightened? But the the handy thing about having a, a team that good builds up around you is that, you never lose faith in the team's ability to get through the problem.
1: Brilliant, which um,
0: which which is huge, and it's what you need to be that be that agile and have that level of trust in the team. Yeah, that we could say, okay, we're gonna pivot, and everybody's gonna be on board, and everybody's gonna be okay with this.
1: Brilliant. I love that. Like a real kind of resilience. Uh, I think that's kind of a testament to the social system that you have at your leadership level, and maybe in the teams further down, is being able to take that knock, you know, that kind of capacity to, to, to you know, it, it's uh, your ability to kind of get knocked and, and then get back up and get going again. Um, yeah, so that, that's pretty impressive. And so, I mean, how have you kind of come about that? How have you built that trust? How, I mean, what? Is there something you did?
0: um a lot of it is it's well it's well—it's—it's one of those emerging things it you know it, it doesn't come across overnight it's not a case of you know hiring somebody in giving them an onboarding document and they kind of come out of that process saying well that's it i'm now fully you know yeah. bought in member of the team i completely trust everyone." it's one of those things that you build over time and you build it through some big gestures and some small gestures yes. um, one of our big things is kind of we, we like to keep a good handle on kind of team building stuff making yeah. sure that people know each other kind of on on a personal basis as well as just you know Oh yeah, you know that—that's that person that I—I uh, I complain about on GitHub every time we do a pull request review. <laughs> yeah, that's one. Um, and that, and on the on the leadership front, a big thing for us is that kind of agile idea of servant leadership and really leading from the front. Like when it came time to pivot, we uh, we had the the kind of the solution for our contact tracing thing drawn out, kind of on a whiteboard. On I think it was the 21st of May, we launched it with our first first customer on the 20th of July. So it was a 60 day turnaround, which was insane. Because there was firmware components, software components, UI components, everything that all had to be built, tested, deployed in that time period. And a big way that we were able to kind of get that there with the team on board was essentially leading from the front. Yes. That right. um, it's 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 one thing to tell people, you know, we need to pivot. We need to do X, Y, and Z, and it needs to be done now. And I'm going on holidays, and I'll be back in 30 days, <laughs> and I expect it to be done. Yeah. But what we did instead was we really led from the front on it. So it was one of those things where, you know, people were putting in, extra hours but it's much easier for people to do that if they can see that the people leading them are doing the same and doing more mm. um it becomes one of those kind of you know lead, lead, leading by example things and showing people that you can put your money where your mouth is and that really does help with trust when someone says you know okay we're all working really hard but the people telling us that we need to do this are working even harder and really yeah. driving towards this and that makes things a lot easier and lets people take real kind of pride in, in what we're achieving yes. um the other thing that really helped especially with this one was because there was there was such a clear goal and such a clear need for this that from a motivational standpoint it essentially did itself it did its own job. Um yes. we didn't need to convince anybody of you know the need for this the utility of the product because we were literally able to sit down and say, you know and say look this is what we're doing this is going to protect people this will hopefully save lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not customer. Well, yeah, I guess it is customer centric, but it's solving a, a real problem in the real world. And, and and the demand was there. I can imagine it kind of almost like a, a hand going into a, a perfectly kind of sized glove, you know, kind of, there you go. There, that's perfect. So um, so I'm kind of curious as to your kind of transition to a tech leader, you know, obviously you're a co-founder, but you're the tech leader of your organization.
0: What was that journey like? That was an interesting journey, and it was a reasonably long one so far. So at the very beginning of things, we were doing kind of the initial hospital pilot and stuff like that. It was one of those kind of all hands on deck situations. Early startup, three people in a back room, just getting stuff done, getting stuff built. Um, I still remember with the at, at the very early stages when we were you know shipping out devices for the for the for the initial pilot in the hospital, we pretty much had um, you know an assembly line laid out on a desk in the university where we would just you know dropping the components literally build them up from scratch, screw them up together, get the soldering done, get them shipped out. Mm. Um, In terms of moving from there to a kind of a tech leadership position, um, it was one of those interesting things where in some senses, looking back on the journey, you can't really take a single point and say that's when the transition happened. It's one of those kind of slow things that happens over time as you learn and as the organization grows. So it it, it was quite an organic thing in that experience that... um, once we started to take people on board you start to naturally transition into not so much a leader because you're still kind of leading beforehand but more of kind of the the managerial aspects of it yes. come in more of that kind of interpersonal aspect and it kind of slowly transitions to the point where you're kind of saying say, okay oh i have a team and part of that is once you build the trust with the team and they trust you you trust them you're happy to delegate stuff that's when you really start to see the difference and see it kind of moving to the but it's much more a definable style of leadership at that point.
1: Yeah, I like that. And again, you kind of mentioned the word trust there. You know, that's the kind of enabler of that transition for you and for the team to kind of take ownership of, of things. <clears throat> so, I mean, was this kind of transition, it all sounds a nice story, but was it was it quite painful making that transition or did it just kind of happen? You kind of evolved into it smoothly.
0: Um, it's, it's one of those things... Bit, bit of a it's a mixture in some sense you know it was one of those things it was evolutionary we did evolve into it but there's a, a lot of hard yards um between those two points yeah and the, there still are a lot of the, it's one of those the, those things where you're, you're never going to run out of challenges you're always just going to move from one challenge to the next one um yeah. it, and that's that kind of summarizes this that you know we, we've solved a certain amount of the problems along the way or got surmounted a certain number of challenges yeah and now from the leadership position the challenges are different yeah. It's not that they not not that they don't exist, but um, one of the big things I suppose in terms of like things that we solved along the way was kind of really paying attention to our pain points on projects as we went. So a lot of this comes down to actually, you know, reviewing how we're doing rather than kind of you know taking the the ostrich model of leadership, sticking your head in the sand, and saying it'll be fine, it'll be fine as long as the office is not on fire, we're good. <laughs> so this was one of those situations where you know after a project we take a step back and say, okay, what worked from a leadership perspective here and what didn't. So what was difficult? Maybe one of, the, one of the things would be looking at the gap, saying, okay, maybe were there bugs in one section? Was it not tested enough? How do we make sure that happens again? Um, this is a big thing that, that that I actually like to focus on, even when there's kind of smaller problems that don't cause big issues. You know, let's say if there's, there's a crash that shouldn't happen or something mm-hmm. gets deployed that shouldn't have been. A, a big thing that I like to do is kind of take it back to the team, break it down and say, okay, what happened? Why did it happen? Because even if the thing, you know, even if they shouldn't have done the thing in the first place, it's good to understand how we ended up there. Because if you can see what the starting sign of it was, it's much easier to head that and a whole other class of problems off of the past. So it's one of those things where it can really help to kind of approach things from the the, the agile thing again of empirical management, empirical leadership, saying, okay, this is how it's happened so far. This is where we need to change it based on what we're seeing. And let's you know apply the scientific method essentially and change this make sure it works and come back and iteratively and incrementally improve how our team works how we communicate and so on that was actually one of the huge learning points for us um during COVID 19 kind of looking at team communications and how those happened because beforehand we'd had a we'd very much kind of a a very good in-office culture where everybody would chat everybody would have conversations you'd have this kind of cross-functional dynamic happening naturally where you know people from the dev and engineering side of things would have a conversation with customer success, you know, over a coffee. They'd get stuff sorted out. You'd have lots of ideas coming from these interactions. It was really good. So that was one of the really painful elements of COVID nineteen, where we had all of those really, really good social elements just cut off. Yes. Um, and a big challenge for us was trying to get to grips with that and recreate those with kind of you know, your your team building stuff, getting people on video calls, trying to really encourage that kind of style of comms, and really trying to foster like a good proactive style of communication on different text platforms you know it's very easy to kind of have a slack channel that turns into something very very functional where someone says done x y and z need help with this one element. you know how can i get that done and kind of bringing people to more of a proactive way of communicating where they say look this is what i'm planning to do has anybody else worked at this has anybody else got ideas and stuff and also making sure that people communicate with the stakeholders because if tech builds a product for tech tech will love it and nobody else will And you've built a product that you can't sell and is functionally useless at that point. So a big thing that we encourage is making sure that we have those stakeholders from sales, from marketing, from operations in the company and surrogates for the customers in a lot of those meetings and in those review meetings to make sure that what we're building actually reflects what we need to build.
1: Brilliant. I love it so this kind of comes back to your kind of company uh, and uh, knowing what you're delivering is actually solving the problem in the best way it can um you kind of mentioned that you've got your kind of product owners and various other kind of stakeholders um do you ever kind of go out into the field and actually watch this stuff being used and see the nuances is there a feedback loop directly from the kind of end user
0: there is that was one of the elements that um we, we really wanted to build out we kind of modeled this after um some stuff that we heard from speaking with um actually Intercom and their founders and we heard a really good talk from them where sure. they kind of outlined how they've done some of this. And we said, hey, if it worked for them, it can work for us. So um, we, we set our, we set us up a really good product feedback loop and this really helped. Um, we had this all in place before COVID with some of the early hospital stuff where we had a kind of a person in kind of a customer success role where their job was to kind of go out, really talk to the customer, understand how they use the system, see it in action and feedback those insights. Yeah. Um, as part of one of those things, for example, we were able to identify something on the hospital side where one of the processes of kind of like assigning a device to a patient took really long because the way that we'd assumed they did it was not the way it actually worked in practice. So they wow. were able to look at this, note it down and say, OK, this is how it really happens. We were able to get it together. And in a 20 minute meeting, we were pretty much able to get away thrashed out to kind of give them a new a new flow, a new UX style for doing this. It reduced the amount of time they spend on admissions and discharges with our system by like 95 percent um within a day and it's those small things like that where they're when you look at them in hindsight they're not massive expenditures of time they're a great example of like working smart rather than working hard yes and that that that's what that customer feedback loop really really gives you brilliant um because it, it, it's one thing when you hear people saying oh you know we're, we're pulling all nighters we're burning the candle at both ends just to get stuff done and get stuff out And, you know, that that has its place, but it's much, much better if you can do all of that work in less time.
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, that kind of reminds me of uh, another CTO on one of the podcasts uh, spoke about uh, the point at which he decided that this kind of hero efforts of all-nighters and working weekends, it got, got it basically got fed up with it. And he says, I'm not doing that anymore. I want to do everything I can to avoid that, you know, and and do the right thing, you know? Uh, so yeah, it kind of speaks to that. And, and you know, it's nice to then kind of spend your time on other more useful things, you know, uh, like really solving the customer's problems. So um, yeah, so the company's doing very well. So. I mean, give the audience an idea of how successful you've been. I mean, what's your kind of growth plans and where you're going with this?
0: So growth plans so far. So once that, uh, well, the, the, this is one of the the, the slight downsides because uh, what we were what I was initially going to talk about was, you know, our, our plans post-COVID because, you know, we'd sat down in November, we had a meeting and said, look, there's vaccines coming out. This is great. You know, that's we, we, we can put a pin in the contact tracing product and start scaling out the next thing. And we have you know some big ideas in the pipeline. We've got some fairly massive clients um, signed up Great. with the, I can't give too much away, but the the kind of the numbers of the things we're going to be tracking are going to be in the millions with the first contract. Wow. So there's some very promising stuff there at the moment. But uh, we're also still selling the contact tracing product because of course we ended up in wave three that the, the vaccines haven't rolled out as fast as they perhaps should have been, which was unfortunate. Um, and yeah. it was one of those cases where you're making a sale that really you'd rather not have to make. But uh, aside yeah. from that, um, in terms of kind of the growth trajectory, things have been going really well. Um, we're very well backed in terms of finance. We've got some private angel investors in there from the start. And we've got some VCs backing us and we have the, the EIC backing us as well. So we have a nice, a nice range of funding and a fairly long runway from all of that, which is good. It gives us, you know, that, that kind of breathing room and that space to kind of scale this thing aggressively and really get it to where it needs to be, which is really good. Um, one of the things we're looking at is moving more into the asset tracking space. It's something we've had an eye on for quite a while, um, even in kind of the, the the medical elements. Where and this is again from talking to customers and actually seeing needs on the ground that the, there's, there's a huge need for like better asset tracking in environments like that. That there's plenty yeah. of places, both medical and otherwise, that we we've seen and we've encountered where the the kind of the the tech systems that you'd expect to be in place to help people keep a good handle on their assets where they are, where they're going what's happening with them, what processes they're involved in. These systems that you might expect that exist actually don't. So there's mm-hmm. the, there's a big market gap there that, that we're looking to fill at the moment. Um, and again, it's it's one of those stages where at this stage, a lot of it is pretty intense conversations with potential clients, potential customers, stakeholders, breaking down what they actually need and looking to really focus the solution around that because you get kind of too many, too many products that are out there kind of saying, hey, we'll solve this problem that doesn't actually really exist for people in industry and that the core of it for them is something different. So we, one of the, this is one of the things we kind of prioritize, like actually focusing our products and our solutions around the actual things that the customer needs rather than what other people think they need or even sometimes what they think they need.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting that um, what you stated there, to me, seems like common sense, but that's not always the case. People are going to get stuck in there. They kind of get blinkered, I guess, you know? Um, oh, and- yeah. And it's
0: it's very, very easy for that to happen for, you know, for to people kind of, was once people start working on a project and they kind of move away from the, the initial requirements and the high-level conversations with customers, what can often happen is they, you know, they, 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 they go native essentially from a, a software <laughs> perspective. Yeah. And they start building things in a way that suits them as software engineers as opposed to what suits them or what, what suits their client. Yeah. Um, and that can be very unfortunate i mean you can get away with it it can certainly work but it's it's going to create it's going to mean that you're putting in more effort than you need to people are going to be working longer hours than they need to and you're also going to end up with a lot of situations where you demo what you've got to the customer and the customer says this doesn't have anything that i want <laughs> yeah. you guys go back and redesign it <laughs> yeah. and again that that's more time gone that's more frustration that it doesn't help anybody
1: brilliant yeah that that sounds good it sounds like you've got uh, your kind of finger on the pulse and you're kind of uh, uh, solving um you know real problems out there and and, and i can imagine uh this is, creates all kinds of efficiencies for um certain companies you know if they know where people are where where the bottlenecks are um it kind of creates another kind of dimension of managing uh the process and the way things are running you know um yeah um so I've got to come back and focus on yourself for a minute, it's the tech leader so so owen what what's your passion what kind of gets you out of bed at uh, in the morning
0: so it's a good question and um, the, there's a kind of a bunch of smaller things that could kind of delve into on this you know the the kind of the more kind of functional derivations of the of all these kind of things but when it comes back to kind of the, the core drive from kind of the start with the company is basically what it comes down to is making things better for people building solutions that will make people's lives better make people's lives easier yeah. keep people safer that we, we can always come down and say you know that there are other things as well, like you know, like for example, just even the the standard techie thing of saying, you know, here is a product I've built that works really well. It does X, Y, and Z. Look at this cool tech and all this. Even when you take that and take a step back, it's it's one and the same thing. It, it's that you've built a product that really does what someone needs it to do. Yeah, and that's what building great products is mostly about. It's about building things that make people's lives better, make people's lives easier, make people safer. That's yeah. um, it's really exemplified by the work we did with the contact tracing system, at BlueWorks. That was one of those cases where the the, the link between the, the software development work we do, the building stuff, like when you're getting up in the morning, it was like, we're going to get this thing built. We're going to help trace people, keep them safe from COVID-19, help people socially distance, et cetera, et cetera. That's one of those cases where it, it's really, really obvious. Um, Also, even with things like with, with the hospital projects, some of the, the data, even in like the early pilots that we were able to collect, made like real actionable differences to people's lives, help people go through the system faster, got people off waiting lists. Stuff yeah. like that is huge. And that's kind of like the, the key and the core of all this for me. It's like, I love the tech stuff. I'm I'm, I'm a complete nerd in that sense. Um, you <laughs> know, I, I love building new systems, getting to grips with requirements, getting stuff built, seeing how it works. And it's a very proud moment whenever you see kind of your, your system being being used by real people in the real world. That was actually um in terms of the contact tracing product. That was a hugely proud moment for us. Um just just two weeks ago. Um, we were on Instagram, we're kind of scrolling down, and we saw an interview with that uh, David S. Goyer, you know, the, the the guy who wrote the script for Nolan's Batman trilogy. I think he did one of the Call of Duty games, Batman versus Superman. And he was um he was there on set and he was giving an interview about, about something random. We noticed there was a there was a Trackworks contact tracing device on his lanyard. So that was um that that was one of those very proud moments For like the, it, it's not an endorsement. You're literally seeing the product that you built doing exactly what it's supposed to do, <laughs> yeah. In in a way such that it it's so good at it, it just becomes part of the furniture. So Brilliant. that was that was that was something really incredible to see. That's yes. kind of yeah. That, that that really kind of encapsulates what it is that that drives us about this kind of stuff.
1: Brilliant. That must have been a wonderful moment. Um, who spotted it first? Was it was it? Did you kind of jump out your chair and kind of throw your drink and everything everywhere uh, when you spotted
0: spotted this thing? It was, uh, one of my co-founders spotted it, um, you know, he took took a screenshot, popped it up in the company group chat. We're kind of looking at it, it's kind of a bit of a pause, he so goes, is that a TrackWorks device?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I, it kind of makes me laugh because uh, when I was an embedded engineer, you know, we used to, you don't get to see a lot of what embedded engine, well, embedded systems do. Sometimes at the most you make an LED flash, and you used to take great pride, you know, you point at the LED and go, that's my code making that flash, you know, <laughs> which is quite kind of sad. But you know, hey, you know, whatever the rocks about. Um, So, in terms of uh, your leadership, then, okay, um, what? How would you? What kind of leader would you describe yourself as?
0: That's a good question. It's, the answer to that, I suppose, has probably changed as we've kind of gone through the stages of kind of like developing the company. That that it's gone from the early stages where it was very much kind of you know tech lead kind of Prima Center is kind of stuff where you have, you know, yeah, you know, the, the, there's two people on the team. I'm nominally the leader, but everybody is kind of doing the same work. You know, everybody has to, to pitch in and drive at it. Um, and as, as it's gone from there, we've kind of developed it through pretty much aim for like that, that agile style servant leadership idea where it's not necessarily that we're just there to say, you know, Hey, you do X, Y, and Z, get this task done. It's also there to say, okay, you're getting these tasks done. That's good. But also, what's stopping you like what what are the impediments what are the blockers what can we do from an organizational level or what can I do you know from from a leadership position to help you get these things done easier or faster or safer or so on yeah and that's kind of like one, one of our good examples like how, how we did that is within um, the current system one of the big things is you know there's a big devops component and a big operations component and there was a lot of time being used up on those fronts. You know, kind of checking the dashboard every day, making sure that everything was good and so on. So one of the things that we identified and that we kind of came in on that, we said, okay, we can bundle this stuff up as an automated report. So all the pages and all the heuristics you'd normally check for, we can actually just bundle those up specifically for you and have a notification that just goes out at that time every morning to let you know if every you know, all the systems green or if there's something that needs to be looked at, if maybe a device wasn't charged or something. And that was a really big thing. Cause I remember when we, when we, we did, did a bunch of these. And by the time we looked at it at the end, we figured there's between everybody on the team, we'd say about 35 hours a week. Wow. Um, wow. And that makes a huge difference that that's people who, you know, finish on time and get a better break and are fresher coming in the next day. That's people who can then focus on kind of more high value stuff or value add stuff, building out features, talking to customers, rather than checking dashboards and bits and pieces. So that's, uh, that's a big example of kind of the servant leadership element for us.
1: I love that. It's a, these kind of little things that become amplifiers, you know. Um, I, I guess some of these things that kind of take up time as well, they, uh, they kind of multiply up with the number of people. Uh, you know, I, I can think of some examples, but, yeah, I, I love that. Finding little solutions that make a big difference. And
0: uh, yeah. Exactly. Because sometimes the problems are ones that are so small that people wouldn't even bring them up. Um, and especially, it's like that kind of in software development where you have like a manual task that isn't ideal, but it doesn't take that long people are very inclined to say you know look I'll just, I'll just bite the bullet I'll just do this manually yeah whereas if you took the step back and automated sure it'll save time for you but it'll also save time for everybody else on the team who's also coming to grips with this very small problem and if you know if you're doing it for 10 minutes a day that adds up very very quickly
1: yes yeah love that so coming onto your teams then you know your leadership feeding into the uh, the men and women uh, working in your kind of organization um how have you found uh, leading your internal teams, but from a COVID-19 perspective, because you're all kind of remote.
0: So that was, that was, the, the whole remote element was was a big challenge for us initially, and it was something with, we kind of identified it as soon as we started to lock down. We actually locked down before the country did. Um, wow. We, we locked down the, a, a week or two beforehand because we'd heard it um, from some of the hospitals that we were working with, and we kind of said, look, let's not take a chance on this, maybe let's just send everybody home for the time being, rather than sending people out to hospitals just in case. So we kind of sent everybody home from the office and so on. We're kind of on lockdown, and then a week later, you know, things had gotten much worse. We had a national level lockdown at that stage, and we were kind of like, "Well, that was uh, that was a good decision in hindsight." Yes. So um, we we would we'd identified from the start because this is the one advantage of having lockdown early. We'd had those conversations before we locked down, rather than kind of ending up locked down by necessity with no plan in place. Yeah. So we'd had the conversations. We said, "Okay, this is where we're going to need to focus." One of the big things that we did initially was just in terms of even looking out for people, we switched it around so that instead of kind of having, you know, team meetings, we had one daily standup for the whole company to try and replicate those small elements where people from different teams would meet, they would discuss what they were doing and so on. And that we still had that good sense that we put um, an employee assistance program in place in case people were kind of feeling the stress from the lockdown, that they would have something in place where they could ring somebody up, talk to them, get a bit of advice in private if they needed to. And that that really did make a big difference as well. Yes. Um, In terms of kind of like the more functional elements of leadership, what we did was for a lot of those projects, we, because the whole company was pretty much dedicated to them, we broke it down into a lot of cross-functional teams. So especially with building the contact tracing product, customer success and operations had like huge involvement with those, especially with the supply chain stuff with actually building the devices, getting those shipped in as well as all the software elements and the stakeholder elements for customers. So a big thing we did was focusing a lot of our meetings around those cross-functional teams to make sure that we didn't end up with any kind of siloed or blinkered thinking where we had you know, a tech team that just got lost in a tech problem and lost focus on the eventual solution. Or the other thing can happen as well where you have, let's say an operations element of the team, if they don't have any contact with tech can easily lose their idea of where the product is at or get a mistaken understanding of how a feature is gonna work. So having all those comms together just reduced the number of different separate lines of communication, reduced the, the opportunities for misunderstandings, which is huge, especially when people are only chatting over text or over video, and you lose a lot of those kind of those those small cues that you normally pick up when you're communicating. Like, yeah. for example, on a video call, body language is much harder to read. Oh, yeah. Facial expressions can be harder to read. If it's just a voice call, that's even harder. And I mean, one of the things we, we kind of keep picking up on is, you know, whenever people are communicating over text you know take a breath and step back because it's very very hard to read tone over text yeah you know for example if someone's been working really hard if they're annoyed and you know they read a message they're kind of say what the hell does he yeah. mean <laughs> by that you know so up with you and um <laughs> yeah and you're going you take a step back and, you know in, in the light of day it's perfectly innocent and it, it's the person you know projecting their own frustrations onto it yes but it, it it's things like that and it's kind of just raising awareness of that across teams as well that you know everybody can easily be under stress so just you know be nice communicate nicely you don't know what kind of position the the other person is going to be in and a big thing we've emphasized as well is just making sure that people reach out to each other and keep that sense of camaraderie and keep that communication going yeah. one of the things you actually started doing now is setting up um there's like a, a a coffee break in the um in the calendar for everybody where if they want to if people are having a coffee at any stage during the day they can hop onto that link if someone yeah. else is having a coffee they can have their own kind of impromptu virtual coffee meeting it's 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 not a perfect substitution for any of the stu- any kind of the real world interactions. Like there's no point pretending it is, but it's one of those cases where it's trying to get as close to that as we can and replicate those as closely as we can, even from like a mental health perspective and a productivity perspective for people. that can make a huge difference.
1: I totally. I'm glad you're kind of uh, and and I love the fact that you're um you kind of. The company made the decision about locking down beforehand. You kind of saw the problem. Because I you know I can imagine a lot of people out there say, like, oh, you know, we can't we can't handle this. You know, this is not something that we want. So you kind of carry on as is. But it sounds like you've made a very kind of wise, premature, uh, not premature, an early decision around um, you know, uh, locking down and, and setting yourselves up, you know, to to kind of handle that. That's brilliant. Um, and also you're looking at how the teams can uh Make up for the lack of kind of face to face because I know what you mean about communication. It's you know, uh, was it what's the saying? Twenty uh, percent uh, of uh, communication is verbal, eighty percent is is non-verbal. You know, it's the mannerism. Yeah. You know. um, Actually, on a funny note, this is, this is something going off piece a little bit, here, but I mean, in terms of people communicating on text, I mean, how do you feel about people using emojis uh, to kind of relate their kind of emotional intent in text? Because I mean, this is something I do all the time and I've had I've kind of called out as unprofessional, but I mean,
0: what about yourself? I was going to say whether it's professional or not for me depends on what emoji you are being used precisely. But, <laughs> yeah. um, no, in general, I would think it's a great idea because if you can give that emotional context and actually communicate that intent with, with an emoji, it can be really, really useful. Mm. And it's, it's one of those things like it, it's a small thing. It's, it's, it's a single character, but it does, it can really, really change the context of the message. And more importantly, it's a very unambiguous way of communicating context. Like, you know, for example, especially if people are kind of, you know, telling a joke or being vaguely sarcastic or something, it really helps to get that in there because especially sarcasm is really difficult to pick up properly over text sometimes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Especially because even if people pick up on the sarcastic part of it, they may not pick up on the intent. It can become a laughing at rather than a laughing with situation. (laughs) That's not good for anybody because the the worst misunderstandings are the ones that don't pop immediately. And it's like that with normal comms, it's like that with software requirements, like that with everything. If there's a big misunderstanding, it will get sorted straight away because it's really obvious. People will call each other on it and go, oh, sorry, that's not what I meant at all. It gets cleared up. The small ones are worse because they're they're more insidious. They build up over time and they can put people in a position where they're saying, does that person have it in for me? And then this kind of stuff. Whereas if you can unambiguously communicate stuff you know, with the the laughing emoji, a smiley emoji, whatever, Yeah, It makes a big difference and it helps people really kind of connect to the context of the conversation as well. It becomes less of a a dry work thing and it becomes more of a, you know, we can have a laugh about this. This is fun. Yeah,
1: brilliant. I love that. So there you go, audience. We're going to start using emojis in our communications to to kind of add that human dimension to our communication. Um, I I, I use it all the time because I I feel like I need to add something to, as you say, it's adding a context to what you're saying. You know, it's giving you, context is everything. Um, So, in terms of the challenges your organization is facing, I mean, what kind of engineering challenges have you got kind of kicking around or you've solved recently?
0: So that's actually a good, good thing. So one of, one of the things that um, we've just managed to wrap up is we've been hiring in um, some engineering leadership. So one of the things we've done is we were hiring in an engineering manager who can kind of come in and do a lot of kind of the, 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 the day-to-day managerial parts for teams and kind of have, be another senior head in the company and drive on on that front. big thing for us is especially with the new products coming on and the new opportunities we're looking to do a fairly aggressive scaling of the engineering team we're going to hire a couple more developers we're going to start building out a formal qa team and so on so we're getting in someone with um experience building out those teams and experience doing those hires has been a big thing for me it's another senior head it's someone to kind of that i can cross check stuff as well with so you know for example if you're sitting down making making an architectural decision it can be very good to kind of say okay here's what i want to do here's my reasoning for it to check it with somebody else yeah. who's played at this level beforehand and say okay you know wh- where are the potential problems how can we make this better what about this is good and works well and so on and so forth so that's been great um in terms of challenges that we are facing or have faced one of the one of the big things that is difficult is with the COVID 19 lockdown with a hardware product that is very very difficult to manage um mm-hmm. so for example when we get stuff, we get, you know, PCBs and devices manufactured and in from the manufacturer, it is hugely challenging to then pull all, all those together, get them put together, do testing on our side, get them shipped out, get them packaged, because we can only have one person in the office at a time. You need yes. to leave gap, gaps between people and everything needs to be disinfected. So there, there are big, unavoidable timelines around all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, now, most of that's been, we have a very, very good ops team who have been fantastic at kind of organizing the, the office workspace with kind of military precision, making sure that everybody has health declaration forms done, everything's disinfected, everything's signed off and done. But um, that that has been a big challenge. Um, we've got some good QA stuff in now, which is really making a nice difference on that side. Brilliant. Um, aside from that, some of the early challenges that we face with kind of Blueworks as a product were the fact that we had, you know, a small team kind of working around the clock to bring it out and scale it out very, very quickly. Um, some of the stuff that really helped there was everything along the lines of automation. So having a good CI CD pipeline built in as a necessity rather than as a luxury kind of auto scaling as a necessity rather than a luxury. The same with kind of infrastructure as code and all those kind of bits and pieces where it's not so much one of those things you say, oh, you know, it's it's nice to have we will build it in when we have time. When you have a small team and you're trying to scale this quickly, you need it before launch. Otherwise, things are going to turn into massive problems. And again, that's one of those things where people like to say, you know, okay, it's, it's not an immediate problem for me right now, so maybe it's not necessary. But if you're looking to scale aggressively, that is going to become a massive choke point really, really quickly.
1: Yes. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, it sounds, sounds like you have uh, really kind of thinking around around your challenges, and that's, that's brilliant. Um, which kind of brings me on to my next kind of curiosity question. As a, as a tech leader, what kind of keeps you up at night? What's, does anything keep you up at night? Do you sleep like a baby?
0: <laughs> uh, I was going to say whether or not I'm up at night usually depends on whether or not I have an update to deploy on the servers. So.
1: <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. But,
0: um, yeah. I was going to say I'm mostly I'm functionally what's mostly kept me up at night over the over the kind of the COVID nineteen period is literally building stuff because there's a there's a lot of long nights and a lot of long hours that kind of went into building this thing and getting it out there so quickly. Um, in terms of kind of like the the kind of the various concern stuff, the, there's always oh, the standard thing that whenever you have you know a hardware product deployed or your device is deployed there are a lot of risks that don't impact like your your normal software products, so to speak. Yeah. So for example, you have things like over-the-air updates for device firmware where it's like, it's fantastic that you can do them. But if you get them wrong, then you have a situation that's really difficult to recover from because it's not a matter of saying, okay, just, you know, pop it up, you know, pop pop open the cap, plug something in, you know, Mm -hmm. download some fresh firmware because you brick this device and this device is now four countries away.
1: So it's one
0: of those things where... A lot of stuff that you would take for granted um, normally with like a, a modern software product where you say, look, you know, yeah, we can just, you know, deploy an automated update. There won't be data loss, so on and so forth. Those don't really apply when you're doing stuff in an IoT context. Yeah, uh, And every OTA update needs to be viewed as like a massive event where it's like, this is serious. This could have very bad consequences. Do we need to do it? Has it been adequately tested? Has everybody on the team tested it and signed off on it? That's, that's actually a big one for me that when it comes to things like, you know, someone, someone has made a mistake, there's a bug, there's an issue. A big thing is like in the moment, it is not helpful to kind of break that down and say, ah, yes, per, you know, engineer a it's, it's his or her fault because then you have everybody in the team pointing fingers and that's really not good. It's like when there's a problem, it's a team problem. It's a company problem. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to pitch in and fix it. Like, yeah, sure. You can assign blame and see how it, how it happened afterwards. But until the thing is fixed, it's a team problem and nobody's pointing fingers.
1: Yes, I like that. Good, a good approach, a, a very kind, kind approach in terms of uh, the kind of culture that you're creating. I'm j- just kind of remembering uh, around kind of leading your internal teams. Do you have external teams at all?
0: Uh, not at the moment. No, it's one of the things we're kind of evaluating at the moment in terms of are we going to look at offshore and kind of QA or nearshore and QA and other bits and pieces? Yeah. Um with the the speed we've been pivoting at lately it's um it's probably good that we didn't have them. Um just from the fact that like the the amount of available time we had essentially evaporated. But um the the interesting thing has been from the way we're working at the moment, the we are essentially leading some of our internal teams as if they were external teams. Uh-huh, yeah. um, like for example with the, with our, our with our BlueWorks product I've never actually had my hands in the production devices. Um Wow. And we, we have actually I, I the fair number of the team haven't actually had their hands on production devices because the only people who get their hands on them are the people who are literally doing the hardware operations and shipping them out of the office. Mm. So that, that was a very interesting experience of kind of doing things in kind of almost 100% remote way. Yes. And that's actually I think going to be one of the, the, good, the good things about the COVID-19 pandemic in the long run. The effect it'll have both in terms of people being much more accepting of remote work, which is one thing, but also people kind of being a lot more open to the offshoring because all of a sudden it's not so different from the way you run things yourself. Yeah, It, it takes it from this kind of this other that sits out there where we're kind of like, I don't know if I can work with it that way. I kind of like the way I have things here as they are and, and taking kind of saying, yeah, okay, that's actually not so different from the way our own internal teams run. Maybe this is something that's going to be much easier to explore at a much earlier stage.
1: Yes, right. Um, yeah, so it, I mean, it sounds uh, that you're kind of... Uh, yeah, have it, I mean the hardware, the whole situation. I, I think the, the sign of what you, what you've just described is a sign of the delegation is working as well. You're actually not having to kind of have your hands on everything, which I think is a is a brilliant sign. So well done, well done to your team and, and yourselves. Um, so in terms of your your company is growing, um, you know, um, what are the pains? What
0: are the growing pains that
1: you're experiencing?
0: Um. Through the kind of through the early stages and and so on, we, we you hit a lot of different growing pains, and in fairness, probably also skipped over some stuff that some other companies will hit because you know every company is different in in those respects. Some of these are kind of to do with how people's own mindsets work and how they're set up. That you could have two different people that set up two different companies, they will hit two completely different sets of kind of initial growing problems and so on, just because of the way they set they set up their teams. Um, that's actually, it's one of those things you see as well that, um, what is it, that, that software products, the architectures that people choose usually end up reflecting how they architect their teams. That if you have a situation where there's, you know, one sole authority, people will build a monolithic app. And if you have many, yeah. many teams that you're delegating stuff to, people will naturally build microservices. Yeah. I, it, can, it, it can be kind of like that. We were very lucky in the sense that um, the myself and my two co-founders, Chris and Fionn, um, we're three very different people who will approach problems very different ways. And that's really helped as kind of a good foundation for growth. As kind of like a baseline, as I would say, for kind of like companies. It comes down to trying to find people who will approach stuff differently and think about stuff differently, because that way it's very, very hard to find a problem that will stump everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, pr- a problem that will block two people is bread and butter for the third person. So that, that can make an absolutely huge difference. And that can also really help even just with a good core team, it really helps with resilience and those basic things, especially at the early stage of a company where sometimes it pretty much just comes down to willpower to keep the thing open. Mm. Um, where you know you might say, okay, look, the easy thing to do is to not do this, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and and there is a bit of that at the early stage where it comes to just, you know, brute stubbornness and saying, yeah, we're going to make this thing work. We don't particularly care how it is going to work. We know that. We'll yeah. figure out how that's going to work along the way.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I love it. It's almost like um, Steve Jobs' uh, reality distortion field. I don't know if you're aware of that, but he used to go around to people and say, this is going to work. You're going to make it work. I believe in you, you know, and uh, apparently that made the difference. You know, so uh, I, I've tried it myself and it, it apparently works. You know, it does work to some extent. So coming to the end of the arc of the kind of podcast, um, wh- what what uh, advice would you give to aspiring leaders out there? What's the, what's the thing that you would, uh, from your own kind of journey?
0: Ooh, I was going to say that if we start in this, I could probably go for another 40 minutes, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try and boil it down to something relative, relatively succinct and, and, and pithy. Um, the, big, the biggest thing I would say that kind of, kind of branching off, you know, our, beyond any, anything functional or anything on running teams, basic thing I would say is never forget that kind of the tech and software development is not just technical, that it, the, the big line we always got was it's a socio-technical activity that if you lose the human-centered aspect of tech, then you're losing the entire point in, in many regards. That if you lose sight of who you're building this for, losing sight of what they need, what their wants are, why you're building it, then you're not gonna build a good tech product. That, that, that good software has to have that good social element where it is going to fill a need and do stuff right for people otherwise you're going to end up with something that's very technically impressive that nobody wants to buy it's, it's it's actually it's it's the classic problem that you see with a lot of a lot of startups that they build a a great product so to speak that nobody wants yes and and this can be a massive problem if you can get around that part if you can make sure that you're building something that people need everything else is solvable at that point but if you're building a product that doesn't have a market and doesn't fill a need then that's a big problem. That That's kind of the, the biggest pitfall that you could possibly run into, I would say. Wow, great
1: great advice there. And, and now I'm going to pretend to be a, a genie. I'm a tech genie. I'm going
0: to grant you a wish. What would be your wish, sir? So um, <laughs> that, that's an interesting one, because I'm going to say that, and again, this is, this is part of the thing, because stuff changes so fast that my, my wishes seem to change by the day almost in terms of like, you know, a, an ideal system and stuff like this. Um, one th- one thing in terms of kind of a, a technology that we could kind of wish for that would really really help stuff at the moment um, would be something along the lines of we've got a lot of like really good infrastructure as code tools around the place at the moment that are all just a little bit behind the kind of the feature sets that the cloud providers bring out. Um, so something like that would be would be really useful. Right. But um, on the on the other side of that, what would be particularly nice in terms of like technology, particularly kind of with linking in with end customers. Um, one of the things we definitely like to see is because we, we've seen a lot of good kind of really good operations tools like this or really good HR tools like this, but something that can kind of handle management of kind of like requirements, customer comms and really can kind of act as that one kind of central point of truth for various stakeholders to come into would be very interesting and very useful, I think. Yeah, Um, especially because at the moment, it's kind of something that's done. You know, you have your project managers, your product managers kind of going through this with diagrams and documents and showing people, you know, and kind of handling it all themselves and kind of centralizing in Google Docs or in, or in Word or whatever. But um, it'd be very interesting to see uh, a platform that can actually kind of bring stakeholders in and solve some of those communication problems. Yes. And really kind of centralize that because if you get the requirements right, the software is relatively easy after that point. Yes. So that would be a really interesting thing that would tackle like a massive engineering concern and be huge for end users as well, because they'd be more likely to get the software they actually want.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of speaks to that kind of communication piece, as you as you said, you know, and requirements, definitely, if you kind of get a misinterpretation there, it has a, a multiplying kind of error error effects all the way down the line, you know, it's um, it, it's kind of poor foundations to build anything. So yeah, that's quite interesting, it's got me thinking actually. Um, so as we come to the end of our time, we literally got a, got a minute, what's your key takeaway for the tech uh, men and women out there leadi- leading technology
0: a uh, key thing I would say um, from our experience at least with covid 19 over the last year and so on is that if you've got a good team around you and if you've got a good culture built up you you can do it doesn't matter what you're trying to do you will be able to do it that that that's one of those huge things that that we, we can talk a lot about you know this kind of heroic development idea of like one person, pulling it out with all the stops, getting it done. But at the end of the day, if you have a good structure, both tech and non-tech built around you, there's essentially nothing your company can't do. And there's nothing you guys can't do as a team. And that's been a huge takeaway. that's If if there's one kind of insight to take away from that experience, that's it.
1: Excellent. I love it. I'm going to say word up to that, sir. That's brilliant. Uh, Thank you for your time, Moen, and uh, it's been great having you on board. Thank you very much. It's been brilliant to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. A fast learner, focused, and a collaborator. Owen displays a refreshing approach to leadership. Though we didn't get the opportunity to talk about it in any great detail, I can imagine the co-founders create a great cross-functional collaboration of leadership. And one, I must add, that creates a culture that helps that leadership. So my key takeaways from the podcast were as follows. Having a varied set of leaders allows for a blend of leadership that can create strong foundations for success. Secondly, pivoting is not just a cool jazz dance move. It's an important and potentially high return business tool. Thirdly and finally, build strong, good, resilient teams around you so your business has resilience in tough times. So thank you again, Owen. Thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your story. And I really do hope that your success only gets bigger for you and your teams. Thank you for sharing your journey so far. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. Your URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favorite off the shelf service, providing quality high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world. From all of us at IT Labs, live long and prosper. Until we meet again on the next podcast.